tyranny like crazy. We've got tyranny everywhere, folks. Welcome to Bloodlines on Eurofolk Radio. Sorry about the delay, but uh, Microsoft did one of its ridiculous updates and messed up my sound settings. I think it messed up every last one of them, and I had to call Paul and get it all straightened out so that we could go live. So welcome, everybody. Welcome, Michael from Sweden. How are you doing today? Thank you, Eli, and, and I hope everybody hears me also loud and clear here from Sweden. And if anybody can't see this tyranny today, well, they are blind as bats. Yeah, that's Your right. Is eating their own people and using, by the way, they're using, they're using this um, phony mask, but then they're sharing water between each other. Right, <laughs> right. Drinking, drinking from the same glass. <laughs> <laughs> yes, right? yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh-huh. It's tyranny. This is tyranny. And it's... if someone doesn't see it, they are blind. They are so blind. Yeah, they're blind as a bat. Over to you. Yeah, by the way, there was a, a video, uh, a lady uh, entitled Bombshell Video regarding the uh, the fact that the uh, coronavirus, uh, COVID-19, is actually just human DNA. It has the same uh, same genetic makeup. And so all they're testing for is uh, junk DNA that uh, exists in everybody's body already. And that yeah. video that video was removed, censored by YouTube. Fortunately, I saved a copy. I downloaded it. I'm going to put that up on Eurofolk Radio after our show. Because it's I a, did the same. Yeah, it's a very, very important video. And uh, I'll couple that with another video. But more and more people are coming out and criticizing Bill Gates. This is get, this is getting crazier by the day, folks. Crazier by the, they want to patent our DNA. Yes, yeah, that way is the RNA. They want to put in a little RNA, so it makes your your body will it makes their their organism, and then they want to patent patent you and own you. And also, they want to make to be make people to believe that the that the that the whole, I guess, the, well, of course, that Adamic race is, is the enemy. That is the virus. That's what they're going to tell you. Well, your own DNA is the, is the virus. It's so ridiculous. Yeah. You hear it. That's what they want. Yeah. And then they want to patent all the people on the earth. And then they ask, can, okay, now we can kill you because we own you. Yeah. Now, Bill Gates wants to patent. Uh, he, he wants to call this a vaccine. This is not a vaccine. This is GMO for humans. That's what it is. You know, that's what it is. It's not. It's not a vaccine. They they want to uh, pr- have your DNA be programmable from a remote location. So they want to eject nanotechnology into splice it into your DNA. That is exactly what they want to do, folks. That's not a yeah. vaccine. That's GMO. Okay. Yeah, they want to make it because you can never you can never patent something that is from nature. So you can't patent the human body. But then if you can make it mm-hmm. to be there it's by putting in RNA that will will modify your DNA, so your your own body is producing this organism, then probably they will try to patent it and say we own it. We own right. you. Now we own you. <laughs> all right, that's exactly what they're trying to do. And, of course, with all the corrupt po- politicians in the world, especially in the U.N., and uh, just about every, you know, the European Union, all these international organizations, none of which are uh, elected by people, 
they're all selected by the Rothschilds as uh, their so- spokespeople, spokes critters that have n- no connection to the people whatsoever. This is the end time. This is Mystery Babylon in the end times, folks. That's what it is. How can it get any worse? You know, so this is an attempt by them. At, oh, it's, it's just the same as Monsanto did with their GMO crops. And what they did was they, if, they, if one farmer had a GMO crop, and the wind blew some of their seeds into a, a neighboring farmer's t- uh, property, and that uh, their crop grew there, they would go and, and sue that farmer for illegally growing their crop. Okay, But the farmer had no control over that. The wind blew the, the GMO seeds onto his property. So Monsanto was filing these nuisance suits against farmers who did absolutely nothing wrong, and the wind just blew the, the Monsanto seeds onto their property. Well, this, this is no different, folks. So, but they're doing it deliberately because no, there's no way the wind can blow mutant DNA into your genome, right? This has to be done purposefully, and this is what they are doing. Can you believe this, Michael? Uh, well, you, that's what it is. It's, isn't that in, in Revelation to understand Satan's depth? Because our people doesn't really understand Satan's depth, or or the Edomites, the usual so there, those keywords. Uh, I call them that because the other names that that's phony, that's made up. I call them Edomites. That's why I use that yeah. word for them. Yeah. So if we're not in the end times now, I don't know where we're at. <laughs> right? Okay. All right, folks. So uh, getting to today's subject, uh, this may have to be a two-parter anyway. Uh, it's from the Ensign Message, and the title is The Virgin Mary's Blood Relationship to the British Royal Family. And I'll go ahead and put this message into the chat room, this link, because uh, this is basic, uh, how should I put it, basic Christian identity theology that we know that the lineage of the Holy Family uh, was carried on in Europe, in in France, in uh, Britain, in Ireland, in uh, in Rome, etc., etc. We know this. Uh, we're the only group in Christianity that understands the, the true migrations and the true genetic. Uh, speaking of genetics, the the genetic carrying on of that genome of the house of Judah, house of Israel, and the specific holy family, the house of David, has been carried on in Europe through the Caucasian people, not through Jews, but through us, including your royal house in Sweden, although I understand your royal house has been corrupted by the Rothschilds just as much as the British royal throne has been corrupted. Yeah, they have probably, but that's my that's my that the the French uh, um, the French they put on this throne here, Bernadotte. I'm I'm a bit uh, I have my my questions about it. That's what I can say, but I have no what to say solid proof of it. It could be that it is a, a rightful heir of of okay. um, David, but I'm doubtful because he doesn't come from from that area that you and me discussed last time. That you come from that place in Germany, Saxony. Mm-hmm. Doesn't come from. No, you say the current royal house of Sweden comes from France. Is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah, they come from France. They come from this family okay. called the Bandot. 
Okay. Uh, yeah, okay, so you'd have to investigate their background. But don't don't forget that uh, Alsace and Lorraine, those two great agricultural areas of Europe, have always been fought over by Germany and France. So it could be, if they come from that area, the chances are they are legitimate uh, you know, descendants of David. But, you know, you'd have to do a you know, background check on those people. Okay. Yeah. All like, right. What I understand, the people that has tried to do it, they it's hard to find because it has been, yeah, yeah the, wa- the water has been been muddy. <laughs> right. Right. All right. Okay. So uh, this article is by Arnold Kennedy. Okay. So uh, I'll go ahead and uh, you know take the first few paragraphs and then I'll turn it over to you. Okay. Yeah. Here we go. And here, Eli, yes. just some, some points here, because I wrote down before last time we ended that we should also then mention Simon Magnus' involvement in the, um, the formation of Catholic Church, maybe how that forms in here, but that's something I should write down and remind mm-hmm. you of, the Eli's yeah. involvement in, in that part. Yeah, we could probably save that for part two, uh, because yep. uh, you know, cause since we went on so late, we're almost, we're almost at the top of the hour. So, um, you know, probably should save that for next week. And I haven't had a chance to do any research on that either. You know, we have talked about it in the past, but uh, with regard to, you know, the attempt by Simon Magus to, uh, hard to say whether he actually created the Catholic Church. I wouldn't go that far. But he, he set, he created the program. Let's put it that way. He created the program for, uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? You know, making it uh, a false, a false church, creating a false church, uh, separate from the Israelite identity of the Israelites. Okay, in the New Testament. Okay, so rather than having a genetic church or congregation, which it's supposed to be, he's the one who started false versions of uh, the, the Israelite genome and the false version of Christianity. All right, so we, we need to go that in, into that in, in detail. Okay, oh, very very good. good. Yeah. Okay. Let's start with the article, and may yeah. you start, and then I will yeah. jump in when you feel right. feel so. Okay. All right. It is easy to think of Palestine and Mary's day as being remote, even cut off from the civilized world. To suggest that Britain was known to Jesus or the disciples of Jesus is to invite a puzzled, if not mocking, smile. The traditional Christian view seems not to extend to the west of Palestine beyond Rome. Well, yeah, they all believe, and because there's almost no historical um, backup of modern Christianity, Judeo-Christianity. They don't go into the history of the scriptures. They They don't go into any history at all. They just teach dogma based on their view of the New Testament. That's all it is. That's what all the modern Christianity is. They have no historical underpinning whatsoever. They have abandoned history. So let's continue. Though everyone knows that Palestine was occupied by the forces of Rome, few realize the intercourse which took place between the Middle East, Rome, and Britain in those days. And I would also mention Germany, France, and Ireland, Okay, and even Iceland. Still, still fewer have absorbed an appreciation of the amount of communication there was between nations east and west in the last century B.C. and the first century A.D. 
Until we have an appreciation of how well-traveled the influential people of those days were, we will not have an appreciation of the real situation which existed in what we now call the Middle East at that time, or Palestine. It is unfortunate that very little that we learn in our churches helps us relate Mary, Jesus, the disciples, any of the characters we find in the New Testament or the Roman hierarchy to the interrelated world society which existed then or to comprehend them moving across the stage of history. Let me warn you, Michael, uh, Arnold Kennedy has a horrible writing style. <laughs> right? That, that was a run-on <laughs> sentence if there ever was one. Okay? <laughs> so, but uh, let, me, let me comment here. Because it goes way, way back further than the first century BC, because Solomon, Solomon's ships crossed the Atlantic Ocean, and they he had people in Michigan mining copper. I believe it was copper in Michigan, and they left the uh, tetragrammaton. They inscribed the tetragrammaton on rocks all over the place in Michigan, Illinois. There's a cave in Illinois that. Uh, has all kinds of Egyptian artifacts in it. Where do those Egyptian artifacts come from? They came on Solomon's ships, okay? A lot of these mound builders were Israelites, and they they inscribed rocks with the tetragrammaton and calendars and things like that. So it goes back to the days of Solomon, 900 B.C., okay? That's how far back it goes, folks. And possibly even earlier, David may have also sent... Uh, ships across the Atlantic Ocean. And so some of those ships may be uh, ships from the various tribes that just got lost and then wound up coming to America's shores, all right? I mean, if they were able to go to Iceland, you know, in, in pretty much prehistoric times, it's not that much further to Greenland, okay? And uh, the temperature of the earth was a little warmer in those days. It, we had a cold spell, and we're actually still in that cold spell now. But it was warmer in those days. And it, Greenland was not frozen over then like it is today. Okay, In fact, the, the, the ice cap over Greenland is retreating a little bit, not much. So, uh, so Arnold Kennedy is absolutely right on the money when he's talking about you know, the, the world as known to the apostles, to Yahshua Messiah, the apostles, and all the people living there, was a much bigger place than is commonly assumed by today's Judeo-Christians. Okay? So, and then the next heading after this paragraph is a British royal, the first bishop of Rome. So, uh, let me take this next paragraph. That Peter was the first bishop of Rome is believed by Roman Catholics as a matter of dogma, but it is to be wondered whether it is believed as a matter of fact. St. Peter, too, has been reduced by church teaching to almost a myth, a lucky mascot, and someone who is the butt of jokes about heaven. I've never heard any jokes about Peter. Maybe the, I'm not aware that Catholics do that. I don't know who else does. His bishopric of Rome is believed hardly at all by those of the Protestant persuasion. That's correct some of whom will ignore any evidence contrary to their set view on the matter, thinking it would seem that a fact ignored is a fact abrogated. The first bishop of Rome was, in fact, a member of the British royal family, Linus by name. So let me just say really uh, quickly here that Peter 
was sent not to Rome, but to uh, the old the old area, the east of the Tigris-Euphrates River area, okay? The Fertile Crescent, that's where Peter went. Because that's where the Parthians were, folks. That's where the Parthians were. He was sent to the Parthians. Back to you. Yes, yeah. And that also what ring to me when you read this introduction is this, that, as you said, the, our <laughs> the churches today has been watered down to merely dogma and they are as i think you you have described them as they are they are wide as wide as uh, very wide but but shallow uh, only very shallow so i don't remember the the wordings you have used but they are shallow as um, very shallow very very <laughs> wide and um, right. that is that's why i guess so many of our, our white people doesn't even listen attend the church because it's so narrow it's so wide it is it is just dogmas it's, it's have no connection to history but here um, we point that in, as you said here. That's what I find so intriguing in this, um, in the, um, in this. Um, when you read these articles, that you also tie in history. That's what makes me. I really, I really love that. So yeah, yeah that's. Yeah. Uh, and then also this, the Solomon ship that you were describing. Yeah, weren't those the ship that were uh, cruise uh, was out in the world and buying in materials to when they were building building the temple when Solomon's porch was built. Yeah, yeah, they they went all over the world. They were able to, you know, they were seafaring just like the Egyptian ships were able to cross the sea. The Phoenician ships were able to cross the sea, and uh, you know, and then even the Viking ships. You know, uh, who was the Eric the Red? I think his name or Snorri, one of them, <laughs> uh, sailed sailed to America, mm -hmm. right in one thousand yeah. A.D. They were here in one thousand A.D. Oh you yeah, know, they were. Yeah, and, uh, Columbus was not the first one. No. No. Yeah. <laughs> it was not. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, just a digression there. Let's, yeah. <laughs> I will start up then. Okay. Um, the British royal, the first bishop of Rome, um, to write of Judean or Israelite Christian may seem odd to some, but it should be realized that Jesus did not establish a religion called Christianity, nor did he attend a church called a Christian church. He did not see himself as a founding new religion. He did not want, uh, well, okay, they were Jews to become Christians. Right. No, yeah. because they weren't. Right. Um, right. Yeah. 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 Jesus uh, wanted, yeah, and his name wasn't Jesus either. <laughs> Nobody called him Jesus. They called him Yeshua. Right, back to you. Jesus wanted Israelite to accept the truth that the Messiah of Israel had come. Uh, quite a different proposition. Amen. Jesus saw his ministry as being a... Uh, continuation of the ministry of the Old Testament prophets, but with um, with the Spirit taking the place of the letter and his own ones and for all sacrifice, uh, taking the place of the traditional sacrifices. This part of the law was fulfilled, but Jesus made it clear that the rest of the law still stood fast. Right. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Now, actually, he contradicts himself a little here. Uh, the Spirit doesn't totally take the place of the letter the letter still exists but uh you know so taking the place of is to, overstating the case but then you know in the last sentence here this part of the law was fulfilled but jesus made it clear that the rest of the law still stood fast the only laws that were abrogated were the sacrificial laws that's it all the rest of the torah still applies okay now that's that's basic Christian identity teaching on this matter, and I would say Arnold Kennedy totally agrees with us on this point. 
Okay. Yeah. So he, he says that Jesus saw his ministry as being a continuation of the ministry of the Old Testament prophets. That is also, that's totally correct. And he did not abrogate the Old Testament in any way, shape, or form. Because even Paul explains to us that the sacrifices which were established at Mount Sinai, the, the Levitical priesthood, was temporary. He tells us it was temporary. It's, it was to discipline the Israelites who were, and, and still are, uh, you know, rebellious against Yahweh's laws. Okay? So, but then Israel had to be redeemed before this, this change, the new covenant, could take place. And so that's all. And uh, Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 37, explain that I will put my spirit on the children of Israel. You know, and then uh, that, that's, this will be the new covenant. And it it's remains with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. No other people are incorporated into the covenants ever anywhere in scripture back to you yeah exactly and if you are grafted in grafted in then you have belonging to the tree before like the the romans they right. were grafted in that is the one because they were is like they were from yeah. um sarah judah right well but paul uses the term broken off if your branch be broken off which means you were originally part of the tree right yeah he, he doesn't say you graft in trees from anywhere he says you have to be the broken off branch. That's exactly the terminology he uses, and the churches ignore that as well. Okay? It's incredible. Yeah. It's incredible the deception that goes on with this Judeo-Christianity. Back to you. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's continue. Uh, Paul uh, ministered in Rome, and we know that Paul was friendly with at least one British uh, uh, princess. He mentions her and her husband's by name in the epistles to Timothy. And this is from Second Timothy 4.21. Do they diligence to come before winter? Ebulus, uh, green thee, and Pudens, and Linus, and Claudia, and all the brethren. Yes, yeah, these, are, these Greek names, Greek slash Latin names are sometimes hard to pronounce. And I think it was uh, Eubulus, I think it was. Uh, actually, I just lost my, my, my place here. Let me go back. And uh, I need to go to the other browser. Eubulus, Eubulus, Greedithi, and Pudens, and Linus, and Claudia. Okay, Eubulus is a tough one. Okay, back to you. Yeah, it is. <laughs> okay. And as then, Paul ministered in Rome and met British royalty in Rome. Why should the thought that Mary or Jesus or both of them visited Britain be received with a rather uh, uh, derogatory, uh, if polite smile? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it was not at the time of Jesus, as we shall see, at all uncommon for people from the Middle East to visit uh, Britain. They had been doing it in their thousands for hundreds of years before the Virgin Mary was born. Yes, here we see, as you said, that was Solomon's ships was coming here to Britain, and probably also up here in, in my here up in the north in the Nordic Nordic countries as well. And, and in your in your country also, didn't they dig out uh, minerals for the building of the temple in America? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, they needed copper to make brass. Okay, 
So, uh, yeah, like I said, there's all kinds of evidence. Uh, the uh, Tetragrammaton is inscribed all over America. It's just about every single state you will find that here in America. Okay. Yes, and weren't, weren't they also in, in Brazil and digging out uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. men there too? And Peru? Yeah, Brazil yeah. and Peru, exactly. Yeah, yeah, they got around. Yeah, yeah they sailed up the, uh, the Amazon River, <laughs> right? They were everywhere, okay? So, uh, and they were able to, they had to fight off Indians wherever they went, right? But yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. And isn't it also then referred in those, in the South um, America, American uh, tribes that in the, in the past, they were led by a big, uh, big white men, white, uh, that white men, they drew them. Bearded, with, uh, bearded white men. The, all their legends huh? say the bearded white men. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Because the uh, the native Indians, most native Indians around the world, do not have full beards like we do. Okay, uh, the, uh, this the blacks in Africa are not fully bearded. The American Indians are not fully bearded. So only if they mix with us do they develop full beards on their faces. Of course, I'm talking about the men. <laughs> right. So, but uh, no, uh, just quickly, the reference is in Romans chapter eleven. What will the, uh, verse nineteen? Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off, that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off, and thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear, for if God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest He spare not thee. Okay, so clearly, twice, twice He's talking about the branches being broken off from the original tree. And he's talking to the Romans, which means they're Zarajuda. All right, back to you. Yes, but that is ignored by the church, and they believe you can graft, you can take anything. You yeah, can and graft in an apple, and, uh, an <laughs> apple tree with an olive tree, whatever. Come yes. on, it can't happen. Yeah, amen. And, okay, let's continue. Romans sent children to Britain to be educated. It is history. Uh, warped view of the isolation of the British Isles at that time, which makes the divine visit to Britain seem so incredible to us. In fact, um, the traffic was not all one way. Uh, tradition has it uh, that Anna, Mary's mother, came from uh, Cornwall and had undertaken the journey in the opposite direction. Okay, let me, uh, let me stop right there. Wait, he's, I see he's talking about Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph of Arimathea was a tin merchant who had tin, owned tin mines in Britain. Okay, so it's quite possible that Anna, uh, maybe she was his daughter or a cousin of Joseph. Uh, she may have been born in Britain and accompanied Joseph back to Palestine on occasion. Because he got around. <laughs> he got around. And uh, he probably sailed back and forth between Britain and Palestine numerous times. No, no telling, because that, that history is lost to us. But as he pointed out at the very beginning, the, these Israelites got around. Uh, they got around all over the world. And there was a, a direct connection between Palestine and Britain going all the way back to Zarajudah. 1900 BC, okay. Um, yeah, right. and it's okay. also because we know that um, we have the history of Jesus when he was born, 
but then also his ministry. But that was like 30 years later. So you have a 30-year period where he were probably out in the world. He was probably in Britain. He was probably everywhere and doing and got educated with, I don't know if he was going with Joseph, Joseph or whoever. So he was out traveling. He wasn't in, I believe, he wasn't in, in Palestine all that time. He was probably out and, and traveling as well. Mm-hmm. A uh, couple of comments here. Bronze, sorry, I said brass. Bronze, tin and copper. Thank you, Nimble Horse. <laughs> All right, there was no brass in the ancient world. Yeah, okay, I, I, I'm not a metallurgist. <laughs> All right, and Bavarian man says, the Indians in the east of Inca land, Peru, were white people by the name of Chachapoa. Maybe that's where the Chacha came from? People did not, they come there via the Amazon River. Descendants of them are still there. Yes, they are. And in fact, who was it? Oh, um, it was one of the Spanish conquistadors who went to Peru and uh, found a quote-unquote Indian maiden who was white, and she was so beautiful that he took her back to Spain. Okay, Th- those are descendants of the Israelites that uh, migrate from the ships. From the ships of either David or Solomon, more than likely. Back to you. Uh, yeah, I've read that too. That the the Spanish, uh, the Spanish, uh, when they were um, uh, invading or were conquering yeah. uh, South America, then they did brought the some of the ladies back because they yeah. were so beautiful and because they were white. So they probably they had they were the trace of those Indians. But isn't the same also in America? Some of your Indians are a manifest Israelites that right. did stay there. Well, it's interesting. Uh, the Lewis and Clark expeditions, they, they went from the Atlantic coast, actually it started out in St. Louis, <laughs> and uh, tried to find a path to the uh, Pacific Ocean. Uh, they went north, uh, I think they went up the Mississippi, then up the Missis- Missouri, and toward the northwest, and they ran into a group of Indians called the Manai, M-A-N-N-A-I, and these Indians, according to their words, were white. They were a white tribe that stood out from the rest of the Indians. And could they be from Manasseh? Where, Sounds possible. Okay, where the word name Manai. That's an unusual name for Indians, Manai. Okay, back to you. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's continue. The main stumbling block is that most people do not think of, of Bible people. Mary, Jesus, Joseph, and, and Arimathea, uh, Pilate, Herod, the disciples, and Paul as world travelers. Well, they were. Yes, they were. they were. Yes, Just absolutely. because uh, uh, maybe the scripture is not telling exactly where they went, but you have time lapse in the history. For example, for Jesus, when he, when he was small, the time when he was 20, yeah. 25, then he were I, he was often traveling and, and learning about yeah. the world, I guess. Yeah, well, the the missing years from twelve to thirty. Yeah, where, where exactly. was he? Where where was he those eighteen years? You know, yeah. pr- probably sightseeing in Britain, <laughs> right? Or, or learning, or, or by his uncle's side. Josephus Marathia was his uncle. Yeah, did right. he go with Joseph? I, I believe he did. Uh, I read that he, he was on a trip with Joseph, and Joseph was was in Britain. And didn't didn't he also form the first? Uh, I used the word uh, church there right. in, in Britain when he was there. Yeah, and there's that song the, the, written by oh uh, the great British poet. Uh, uh, anyway, uh, a song about Jesus walking on the soil of Britain at uh, Glastonbury. 
Okay. And, uh, and there's well, the Glastonbury thorn was probably planted later, but uh, the Glastonbury thorn was planted at Glastonbury, I think, yeah, after the crucifixion. And uh, it blooms during Christmas and Easter. It's the only tree in the world that uh, blooms twice yearly at those times. And uh, speaking of grafting, they cut a branch uh, off of that tree and planted it in Washington, D.C., at Washington Cathedral. And that tree also blooms at Christmas and Easter, okay, which we would consider more our our Passover and the, uh, what is it, the... um, uh, what's the dedication? Yeah, a dedication, I guess it would be. Uh, so it's not, it's, Jesus was not Catholic. <laughs> no. But, but uh, Christmas and Easter are the times of the year where that tree blooms. Those are the only two trees in the world that bloom that way. Back to you. Um, yeah, and that is no coincidence if you have this coincidence science people that believe in coincidence all the time. Yeah. Yeah. There are no coincidences. Okay, let's continue. Mentally, they think of people of Bible times as being chained into their main moment in history. Those we are inclined not to think of Pilate in any other context than standing on the balcony on the fateful day, mm-hmm. uh, washing his hands. We do not see him as a baby needing nappies changed. We do not. Uh, see him playing games with boys in the street. We do not see him with um, tooth uh, ace, ache. ache. Yeah. Pilate, all the Bible people are to most people disembodied concepts and we see them confined within their historic moment. Yeah. Moments. Like, yeah. like Superman and Batman. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, they have no historic context for the rea- reality of Yahshua and all these other historical people. In fact, you know, the, uh, the secular world is constantly trying to deny that Jesus even existed, right? But uh, yet there's all kinds of records uh, in the New Testament. Every single word of the New Testament has been subject to criticism. And, for example, the Gospel of Luke is correct in every single detail, of who was the uh, tetrarch and the uh, petrarch and you know mayor and and what what not and the years that the census were taken etc. Every detail by Luke is absolutely one hundred percent correct. All right. So then he's going to be wrong about Jesus? I don't think so. Back to you. No. Yeah. No. And and why why is it if if Jesus didn't exist? Why always is the world using his name and cursing yeah. his name for <laughs> yeah, right. people that didn't even exist? Yes. Ah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Give me yeah. A break. Yeah. Another fairy tale. Yeah. Uh, well, it, uh, the world is living in a fairy tale, right? The secular world oh. is. It's called evolution. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Back to you. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and now, now lately, the Corona hoax. Oh right. Yeah. Right. Okay. If there is one thing that organized religion of most brand names has succeeded in doing um, it is to make the very real people we read of in the new testament into almost myth- mythological figures as cardboard cut out as those brightly colored sheets of nativity uh, nativity figures they used yeah to give us in sunday school yet secular history is not at all silent about them and legend is fertile with accounts of their exploits, travels, and their relationships. History tells us a lot 
about how those people lived and traveled. Yes. Yes, and that is that is this what we call it. We need to study to show ourselves approved. We need to read well. We have to mm-hmm. to to connect also history with the with the scriptures. Right. Uh, that yeah. is what we need to do, and uh, that is so make it so fascinating to read about the Parthian Empire and who they were. Yeah. And uh, yeah, over to you. Yeah. Uh, just recently, uh, I saw it, I couldn't find it again, but uh, a post that twenty seven hundred so called Christian ministers have been telling their flocks to get vaccinated. Okay, mm-hmm. twenty twenty seven hundred. Okay, and so you know, what? What about Mystery Babylon? Have you not read the Book of Revelation and taking the mark of the beast? Have not not read that. Okay, well, most of these people are infiltrators. And the average Christian doesn't know that, that uh, this goes back to the tax-exempt corporations and, of course, the Jews uh, setting their agents in place over various denominations, infiltrating them with homosexuals and communists. This goes back to the 1930s, folks. So this infiltration has been taking place for, what, 80 years now? Okay, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. you, know, you cannot trust a Judeo-Christian ministry. You cannot trust them at all. That includes the Catholics. Back to you. oh, uh, my turn. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. But okay. Then isn't it also this? Isn't it those also the what do you say? The perfect place for the devil to hide where the Christians believe they are not in yeah. their own churches. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually there at uh, the National Cathedral, and uh, I I saw the Glastonbury thorn they have there. I wasn't there at uh, you know Christmas tide or Easter tide, as they call it, right? Uh, so I didn't see it bloom, but it is still there, as far as I know. Somebody tried to chop down the original glass and berry thorn in Britain, but I believe they were able to save uh, save part of it and had to start from scratch. Had to plant it in the ground and it grew. Okay, so there are people who hate Jesus Christ, Yeshua Messiah. Can you believe it? Michael? Well, but he didn't think. But still, the secular world saying it didn't exist. So how can you hate this one? Yeah, that right, exist? right. I, I don't get that the lie. It yeah. didn't exist. So this is that they are they are they are they are tripping on their own own toes all the time, or I don't right. know, hoist a little petard maybe. Yeah. Well, if they chop down the tree and it doesn't bloom again, see, they can claim it was just a legend, <laughs> right? Okay. Family tree of Jesus. Ancient tradition says that Anne. The mother of Virgin Mary was of Cornish origin, i.e. she was British. It is not generally known, but there is a family tree of Jesus from the time of Adam in the Herald's office at the English College of Arms. I actually have a a copy of that, or at least a printout of the family tree, not the actual copy of the document. From that document, we glean the information that Anne, mother of the Virgin Mary, was married three times. Her first husband was Joachim, by whom she had the Virgin Mary. Her second husband was Cleophas, and her third, Salome. See John 19.25. It would seem Anne liked the name Mary, for in addition to the Virgin Mary, she named the daughters by her two other husbands, Mary also. (laughs) Okay, talk about confusion. But, let's go on. I I, I guess they were able to tell them apart (laughs) by sight, right? All right, Joachim, first husband, Virgin Mary, and the descendants, uh, Jesus, 
And Joseph. Okay, I'm not sure. What Joseph is he talking about? Is he talking about Joseph of Arimathea? Uh, being a descendant? No, it can't be. Joseph of Arimathea was uh, Mary's uncle. So this has to be some other Joseph. Maybe he'll explain. In uh, uh, Maybe he's talking about Joseph, husband of Mary? I'm not sure. Anyway, Anne, Cleophas, second husband. Mary, Alphaeus, James, Simeon, Jude, Barsaba. And then Salome, third husband. Oh, from the third husband, I see. Uh, again, uh, he, he, this chart, he should have made this chart clearer. He, in the first uh, part, he lists the first husband, Joachim. And, it, oh, you know, I think there's something, this chart is off. I think Anne should be listed under Joseph in, in the first part of the chart, okay? So Cleophas and Salome was the third husband? Okay, I guess uh, it's unusual. I've never heard of a man named Salome. That's always been a, a, a woman's name, as far as I can recall. Anyway, the third husband, according to this chart, is Salome. And the children are Mary, Zebedee, John the Divine, and St. James, according to this chart. Okay, I've never seen this before, and uh, it, may be, it may all be true, because that would you know, explain the correct relationship because uh, most people say that Mary had uh, John the Divine and James also, that they're quote-unquote brothers of Jesus. So they would be half-brothers, okay, from, uh, from, um, from Mary or from Anne. So they would be cousins or half-brothers, all right? That's the only way I can make sense of it. There's a, a, a problem with the way this chart is uh, recreated here online. Okay, Mary Salome... Mother of the disciples James and John of Zebedee was also a second cousin to Virgin Mary. Andrew and John were friends of the family through John the Baptist. The father of John the Baptist was Zacharias, who was assassinated between the temple and the altar for proclaiming the virgin birth. Very interesting. I know Yahshua talks about Zacharias being murdered by the Pharisees. Okay. But he doesn't say why, so uh, Arnold Kennedy is saying the reason was because he proclaimed the virgin birth. Very interesting. Anne had a sister by the name of Bianca, who was the mother of St. Joseph. Okay. Uh, St. Joseph, the husband, future husband of Mary, I believe he means. Thus, St. Joseph, the the Virgin Mary's husband, was also her first cousin. That is an important fact in the development of this inquiry because it would indicate that Joseph of Arimathea was an uncle of both Mary and Joseph. So you need to have a flow chart here, folks. <laughs> and these, these brief charts that uh, Arnold Kennedy is giving us here aren't very clear. All right. So Bianca, aunt of the Virgin Mary, Joseph, husband of Mary, Jesus. So she's saying that Joseph... St. Joseph, as most people know him, was a son of Bianca. And that also Elizabeth and John the Baptist are descended from Bianca? Okay. Then there, yeah. So that's, that makes sense, I guess. Yeah, that's apparently what he's saying. Uh, I would have to investigate this further. Anyway, this view is confirmed in the Harl MSS manuscript 
which is held in the British Museum. It will come as a surprise to many to realize that far from being confined to Palestine, the Holy Family seemed, through the Virgin Mary's uncle Joseph of Arimathea, to have intermarried into British royalty and to have left Palestine to live in Britain. Okay, certainly Joseph did. And it's quite possible that Mary lived with him in Britain before coming back to Palestine. Probably... It had to be in Palestine because that's where the uh, house of Pharaoh's Judah was still located, right? And Yahshua had to fulfill all the prophecies that he would uh, come to uh, Palestine and uh, be the uh, Redeemer, okay? So it's quite possible that Mary grew up in Britain and then went uh, went to Palestine. Quite possible. Continuing. Some have assumed that the Virgin Mary's exile in Britain was brought about by a forced exodus from the Holy Land, but there is evidence that both Jesus and Joseph of Arimathea had planned for a life in Britain for the family from the time Jesus was quite young. It would seem that the forced exodus after the resurrection of Jesus was a preempting of an already carefully laid plan. The story that I'm familiar with, Michael, is that they, the Holy Family was put on a raft and set afloat in the Mediterranean to, to where fate would probably, you know, uh, kill them, you know, drown them. Uh, that was, the, I think, the, if I'm not mistaken, the Pharisees actually set that raft out. But uh, it may, that just may be a legend. Maybe he's right about this. Okay, back to you. This, is a, this uh, article is way more difficult than I was expecting. All right, back to you. Yeah, I, I also looked at those um, those uh, trees he had above, and there uh, maybe maybe they have been uh, in the format of this article makes them very hard to to follow. But um, yes, okay, let's continue. Um, a relative of the Virgin Mary marries into the British royal family, and um, confirmation that um, Peradin, granddaughter of Joseph of Arimathea, married King Lear. Of British Britain is to be found in a manuscript which is held at Jesus College in England. From the chart below, we can see the contemporary nature of evidence. Oh, we have one more of those charts. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, here is Joseph of uh, Arimathea, uncle of the Virgin Mary and Joseph. We have Anna. We have. Uh, uh, Pernardine married British King Lear. Yes. Bra, British King, and Caractus, British King, uh, Gladys, British Princess, uh, Princess, yeah, who married Roman nobleman Rufus, uh, Pud- uh, Pudens, and changed her name to Claudia and became host to the Apostle Paul. Okay, so it looks like what he's saying is all of these people are descended from Joseph of Arimathea. Uh, this is very new information to me, but here, let me repeat. So, Joseph of Arimathea, if this is a genealogical chart, genealogical chart, he's saying Anna, Pernardum, Bran, Caractacus, Caractica, yeah, Caractacus, Gladys, Rufus Pudens, oh, okay, Rufus Pudens was a Roman nobleman, which, which means he was of Zara, Judah, not Ferris, Judah and changed her name to Claudia, and became host to the Apostle Paul. So all of these people, except Rufus Pudens, were of Pharaoh's Judah. 
So here again we see that the two houses, the two lines of descent coming from uh, uh, Judah, Pharaoh's Judah and uh, Zerah Judah, had intermarried at various points throughout history, and this was one of, I think there's at least three times that those two lines of descent from Judah intermarried to you know, make it one line of descent again. Back to you. Oh, okay. yeah. Yes, here we see that they're coming together as both Pharaohs and yes. Sarah Judah. Amen. Yes, and Paul says in Romans 16.3, um, Statute Rufus chosen in the Lord. Yeah, there we have the same name, name. Mm-hmm. We have uh, Statute. I don't know where that one is, but we have Rufus chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine. Mm-hmm. If this is the same Rufus, then Paul and Rufus were half-brothers. Okay. Okay. Um, remember that Paul was a Roman citizen also, but not by race. Paul was of the tribe of Benjamin, even if he was a Roman, Roman by citizenship. The Roman connection of Paul is ignored by the traditional churches, but we can see the importance going into this further we find that Apostle Paul was a half-brother of the Roman Rufus Pudens and a brother-in-law of the British princess Claudia. When the Apostle Paul uh, presented the gospel in Britain, he had friends in high places. There are many historical records that present Britain as being the first kingdom to receive the gospel. Amen. Paul had other relatives in the ministry, some we're apostles. Okay, so let me just say a little bit about this because, again, it's history that has been destroyed by the Catholic Church. Because uh, whatever year it was, I think it was 600 AD, that uh, the Catholic Church tried to wipe out the Celtic Church of Britain. The Celtic Church is these people and uh, other Israelites, that uh, the Celts and the... Uh, you know, the, uh, the well, the Scots, the Scots would be included in that. Okay, the Welsh, these people, uh, these people were Israelites who learned of the coming of Christ from the uh, certain apostles. I'm pretty sure Peter also uh, went to Britain for a short time. Certainly, Paul did, and the lo- the lost chapter of Acts, Acts chapter 29. Uh, conveys that information that Paul went to Britain and to France and even possibly to Switzerland, okay, which was known as Helvetia at that time, okay. So there's all kinds of secular information about this, and uh, somebody may have deliberately chopped off the last chapter of Acts to maybe a Catholic did, (laughs) all right, to prevent this information about Paul being in Britain getting out. Back to you. Yeah, they want to distort it. They want to hide it. They want to to make yeah. They want uh, yeah. They want their view. Their right. uh, Catholicism. Familiar. Catholicism. The Holy Roman Empire, so called. Yeah. Yeah, and they want to make everybody part of it. But as right. you said, that this church is a church by race, by DNA, not Amen. by by what you proclaim. If you just proclaim Jesus' name, are you saved by that? Even if you are not by that race, well, no, you're not. No. 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 You're not. Yeah. So, okay, let's continue. Romans 16, 7 said, uh, Salute Andru, uh, Andronicus. Andronicus. Andronicus, yeah. Andronicus in, in English. 
and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow uh, prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Yes, now this, this is, is yeah. Now this is interesting because Paul had to be protected by Rufus Pudens, who was obviously a very high-ranking uh, Roman. Okay, so there had to be a lot of you know conflict between the British Romans. Okay, the British who had married back into Rome because the uh, British uh, Britain was founded by the Romans. Okay. By uh, uh, from Troy, the Romans from Troy. Okay, and uh, so they they landed at what what was Care Troy, meaning New Troy, which is today known as London. Okay, and uh, there the the British Empire was really founded by the uh, Zara Judah. Okay, the British Empire was founded by Zara Judah. But uh, there was conflict between the British Zarajudahites and the Roman Zarajudahites down the line. And of course, when the, uh, the, the emperors became totally corrupt under Nero, you know, there was no possibility of either Peter or Paul you know, surviving uh, Nero's purges, you know, if either one of them lived that long. You know, certainly, uh, you know, but uh, Peter is said to have died in the East, not in Rome. Okay, and there was no chance that Peter was ever a pope. Absolutely no chance, whatever. And neither was Paul. Back to you. Yes. Okay. Let's continue then with some of those Greek words. Uh, okay, Romans sixteen twenty one. Uh, Timotheus, my work fellow, and Lucius and Jason and uh, Sosipater, my kinsmen, salute you. I'm sorry if I'm butchering the words here. Yeah. Yeah, I would too. <laughs> You, you must be a Levite. You're butchering stuff. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, maybe. Let's yeah. continue. All right. It is interesting to note that the King Arthur and all the kings of the Round Table claimed descent from Joseph of Arimathea. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, nice. they were from Judah. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The above um, genealogies uh, are Gene- important. Genealogies <laughs> of, <Not> of Deutsch. <laughs> All right. You hear what it was. Are important because they are given altogether different perspective of the interrelationship of the nations at the time of Jesus. Yes. Then, as now, it would seem that the rich, influential, and famous knew each other and had far more in common than we would at first think. Note the following British connections. Okay. A granddaughter of Joseph of Arimathea, cousin, cousin to the Virgin Mary, married a member of the British royal family. A member of the British royal family married a Roman commander. An apostle of Jesus is entertained by a British princess in Rome. A member of the British royal family is the first bishop of Rome, not the first pope. Right. There you go. Yeah, the the first pope, so called, to say uh, the bishop of bishops is really what the word pope means, and there was nobody in uh, the Vatican that proclaimed himself such until 607 A.D. Okay, there was no such terminology as pope, papa, until 607 A.D. All right, so this was well into the you know 
later stages, or should the, the middle stages of the papacy. Okay, so uh, yeah, it just there was no such terminology, so it couldn't have applied to Rome until 607 A.D. All right, please continue. Okay, um, this places uh, the British in the center of things. Israel in Britain starts with some of the tribe of Dan traveling there soon after Exodus. We find the prophet Jeremiah took the royal daughter of Zedekiah, the last Israelite king in Palestine, to Egypt and thence to Ireland. See Jeremiah 41.10. The royal house of Judah, those continued in Britain. History throws a different perspective on the world at that time. A different perspective that we have been led to believe. History is his story. Yes, it is yeah, his story. Right, right. Okay, well, there's a, an error here. Zedekiah was not the last Israelite king in Palestine. Zedekiah was the last before the uh, um, Babylonian captivity, okay? The 70-year Babylonian captivity. But uh, Ezra and Nehemiah reestablished the throne of Judah in Palestine upon returning from Babylon. Okay, so he's overlooking that part of it. Otherwise, Yahshua could not be king <laughs> of Israel. All right? He has to be descended from David. And so basically what happened was that Ezra, I forget, there was another uh, gentleman before Ezra and Nehemiah who uh, was the leader, governor, slash king of the Judahites upon the return from Babylon, okay? So that continued the royal, uh, the, the prophecy states, all it says, Michael, is that there will always be someone, there will always be a Judahite available to become king of Israel. It doesn't say it will be a direct line of descent, there will always be a Judahite available to sit on the throne of David. And that's what happened, okay? So they had to pick the, the people most worthy at the time, okay? All right, so we have about 10 minutes left. And uh, I think rather than uh, start the next section, I have a document here. So if you'll indulge me, Michael, this is a, a, an article about James being in Spain. Okay, this is by Reverend J.A.B. Haggart of the USA, and he says here, Of the twelve apostles, James the Elder has always been associated with Spain. Unlike his brother John, who immediately followed Yahshua after the Master was baptized in the River Jordan, James was called later when sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets for the next catch. Walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, the master had called Peter and Andrew, who already were throwing out their nets to fish. He beckoned James and John also. At Yahshua's call, they all stopped their work except Zebedee and went with him. As James gained a certain amount of training, he became a man of deep dedication and authority. Of the three men who came to make up the inner ring of the disciples, Peter, James, and John, the least is known about James. Okay, yes, very little. All we know about is that when he was martyred, that's about all we know about him. Uh, and of course, the episode where he denied Yahshua three times. So, the name James 
is in Gaelic is closely related to Hebrew and means man of Yahweh. Very interesting. In English, the J is always interchangeable with the letter I. The first three letters of James' name is therefore I am. This was the name of Yahweh as given to Moses by the angel of Yahweh in order to prove to the Israelites that he had been sent to them by Yahweh. James in Gaelic and in Spanish is pronounced Hamish. Ish is the universal name for man in Hebrew. Therefore, the meaning of the name of James is man of Yahweh. Very nice. St. James was certainly a man of Yahweh. Immediately after he had been filled with the Holy Spirit on Pentecost at Jerusalem, he went on his assignment to Spain to bring the gospel to those segments of Israel, especially Ireland. To England, our Savior had already assigned his great uncle and disciple Joseph of Arimathea to build the first church above ground at Glastonbury in preparation for the arrival of the children of Israel already on their way to the appointed place in the Isles. That's a citation from Isaiah. James, he commissioned to Spain. And of course, he went to uh, uh, the Middle East later on to the Fertile Crescent. Okay, then he says... um, In the uh, earlier chapters, Acts of the Apostles, we find a strange absence of the name of James the Greater from among the company of his fellow apostles, John and Peter. In fact, we read nothing of him until the very brief report of his martyrdom, when Herod the king killed James the brother of John with the sword, Acts 12, 1 and 2. This martyrdom of James took place in the year 44 A.D., We ask the question, where was James, and with what was he occupied during those 14 long years of unrecorded activity? We can answer this question by turning to the history books. Even though the Bible is silent on these 14 years in the life of James, the historian has little difficulty in fixing the period of the introduction of the Christian faith into Spain. Its uninterrupted voice has named St. James the Elder, as the first herald of the gospel to the idolatrous people, those being Israelites, of, uh, lost my place, sorry, idolatrous (laughs) people of that country, that the apostle traversed the peninsula from Lusitania to the heart of Aragon, that while he was at Zaragoza he was honored by a visit from the Virgin, and by her express command he erected on the spot a church in her honor. In Spain, folks, that after his martyrdom at Jerusalem in 44 AD, his body was brought by his disciples from Syria to Iria Flavia, now El Padron, in Galicia, which was in, I believe, France, and then transferred to Compostela. With equal assurance of faith, it is believed that St. Paul in person continued the work of his martyred fellow disciples and sowed the seeds of the new doctrine in Catalonia, Aragon, Valencia, and above all, Andalusia, from history, the Historian's History of the World, Volume 10, page 11. All right, and then just a little more. Uh, it is evident that James took very seriously the words of Yahshua when in sending forth his apostles, he commanded them, say, Go not into the way of the nations, Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans, enter ye not but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, Matthew 10, 5, and 6. We remember the words of Eusebius, 
that the inhabited world was divided into zones of influence among the apostles. Thomas in the region of Parthia, and India in the east, John in Asia Minor, Peter in Babylon, Pontus and Rome. So it's, it's evident that Peter traveled to different places. Andrew in Scythia. How about that? But nothing is said about James. We do not know why Eusebius left James out of his list, but history has proven that James went straight west to Spain. As to the account of the Virgin Mary being in Zaragoza to instruct James as given above, we know that Mary remained in Jerusalem all the time that James was away in Spain. But, of course, uh, Arnold Kennedy says that Mary may have been brought up in Britain. Okay, She is reported to have stayed in the house of John Mark on Mount Zion and was there in Jerusalem to greet him on his return to the city. She could not have been in two places at the same time. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> we find it easier to believe that Yahshua, who had already ascended to heaven, returned to earth to greet James as he entered the province of Zaragoza and instructed him in his mission to the lost sheep of Israel in Spain. Fifty years later, he appeared to John on the Isle of Patmos in his glorious risen body and gave him instructions on writing the book of Revelation. James and John were brothers were both cousins of Yahshua, and it is reasonable to believe that the Master would give his attention to them in their work to an equal degree. Both were assigned difficult tasks. Ephesus was the center of pagan worship, and Pergamos was the city where Satan's throne is. Not an easy assignment for John. For James, Spain was an equally difficult assignment. So I would say these two accounts support each other. The work of Kennedy, and let me back up. Uh, who is this author here again? It's, a, it's an obscure identity journal. Reverend J.A.B. Haggart of the USA, as, uh, as recorded in a, an identity magazine. Okay, so the, the fact is, Michael, that the average Judeo-Christian has no knowledge of the travels of the Holy Family. And their predecessors, whatsoever. You know, we, we documented today's show, or at least discussed, if not documented, the travels of the Israelites in ships virtually all over the world. But your, your average day of Christians know nothing about this whatsoever, period. Nothing. Over to you. No, uh, that's purposeful also, as we know, yes, to yes. put blindfolds upon our people. I found it interesting that Andrew should have been in Scythia. And then, as you and me discussed, I think, last time or two times ago, that Skitia is, is this word same as Sweet Yod, but they are Sweet Yod. Um, okay. That is the place where I live. The, that's part of it, because it was part of this big, big area that was always down down toward the, the Black Sea. And mm-hmm. the Ukraine was also included in that big area. So yeah. maybe Andrew was up in, in my neck of the woods. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, we discussed last time that Sweet Yod, it's possible that the letter C was switched to a W because we have all these dialects, right? Uh, our people developed all these different dialects that when they left Palestine, you know, went through Assyria into the Caucasus, and some of them went uh, west to Britain and Ireland way before the overland migration. So the Zara Judah migration was primarily started from Egypt north into Italy and to the Peloponnesus and other places, Troy. 
and then Spain, Ireland, uh, the the British uh, Iron Island of England, and even as far as Iceland, these people were already there well before the overland migration of Pharaoh's Judah from Scythia. Okay, Scythia. So, Switioid and Scythia could be related. It's just a one-letter difference, really. You know, Scythia, Switioid, <laughs> right? Who knows how they pronounced it in those days? So, yeah, we've been tracing our ancestry back to Mesopotamia, back to Acer, otherwise known as Assyria, and all of the legends of the Vikings and other pagan tribes that we discussed, uh, what's his name, Odin, last week, coming from that area and retaining many of the names. Uh, for example, there was a, uh, a city called German, right, in, in that area. That, where, do you get the, where do you think the word German comes from? <laughs> okay, <laughs> your comment. Yeah, and isn't also German also well, uh, a German name that is used also? Oh, of course. I feel yes, as a yes. German name. So yeah. also a name. So all those names that we get, and same, we have also, as you said, Odin. Yeah, we have traces of his name in here up in my neck of the woods in Sweden. We have it in Denmark. We have it everywhere. And people believe he's a myth or he's a god. No, he did exist. He was an Israelite. He was an, an from, probably from Ferris Judah, one of those uh, tribesmen that led up here. Yes. So, yes, we're trading them. And that is what makes this Christian, what makes, for me, Christian identity so interesting. When you're tracing history and put it together, all together, then it makes it living. You, It's alive. You can you can really find that, hey, the, the scripture is, for sure, true. It is yeah. true. Yes. And it yes. makes it even more true. We can prove, we prove it by history. Yes. Okay. Uh, a quick question. Susie... In the chat room, uh, remember that Paul was a Roman citizen also, but not by race. Could you explain the statement, I thought Romans were white? Yes, the Romans are white people, but they were descended from Zarajuda. Zarajuda was, uh, were the people who founded Rome. Okay, This is why you have the inter-family relationship between the Romans and the British. Both of them come from Zarajuda. But the British had uh, the, the first influx of Pharaoh's Judah through intermarriage. The, thus, uh, the two, cha- two branches of Judah were combined together in Britain. They were first combined. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and uh, there was also uh, Queen Teotafi married King Lear. This was earlier, very early on in the days of Zedekiah. Okay. All right, folks, we've run out of time. Thanks for that question. I hope I answered it in the short time that we had. All right. All right. Thank you, Michael. Good show. We'll do this again, part two, next week. We will do. Blessings to all of you. Goodbye for now. Goodbye for now. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh. And pass the ammunition. We are going to need it. (laughs) 